0: Luke 18, if you're our guest, you don't have a Bible or some Bibles back here on the stand in the back of the room, you're welcome to grab one. And if you don't have a Bible at home, just take that as, as our gift to you. Luke is in the New Testament, it's about three quarters of the way through the Bible. It's the third book in the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, then Luke, and we're going to be in Luke 18 today. Luke 18, starting in verse 15. <clears throat> uh, First I'll remind you of a story you probably remember. This is Genesis 28, Genesis 28. Jacob's had a long day and he lays his head down on a rock actually to go to sleep. And he looks up in the sky as he falls asleep and he sees this stairway ascending to heaven and on this stairway there are there are angels making their way up or up and down the stairway ascending and descending from heaven down to this place. hears God's voice boom out and God says, I am with you. I will watch over you. And he gets up and he knows he's been in a special place. And he calls that place Bethel, Bethel, which means house of God. So thousands of years later, 1933, this small group of German pastors, ministers, gathers together in this little German village by the same name, Bethel, House of God. And the name is not happenstance. The the village itself grew out around a hospital, an institution at the center of the village. Caretakers and such lived in the homes around that hospital, and the hospital was known widely as a place that cared for those with special needs. Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, severe psychosis. And at some point, long before 1933, the director of that institution named it Bethel. After reading this story about Jacob, Instead of angels ascending and descending and making their way about in this Bethel. As you looked around, you would see those with Down syndrome and cerebral palsy and other special needs. Powerful commentary, if you think about it, on what, on who, sorry, one would find in the house of God. So, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of those German pastors that is gathered in this little secret meeting in the town of Bethel. And he's there because at the time, the, the Nazi ideology, this is 1933, is really beginning to take root and spread across Germany, and it's, it's infiltrating German churches. And at the time, about 1933, 1934, Hitler initiates his war on what he called bad genes, bad genes. Now, what we remember about World War II and the Holocaust is that that war on bad genes culminates with the mass murder of millions of Jews. But the war on bad genes actually starts focused on those with special needs, those who have Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, for example those at the Bethel Institute. It started with their sterilization, and then ultimately it culminates in their euthanasia. so a few years later, Hitler orders that all what he called mental patients be executed, be euthanized. And the director of the Bethel Institute responds, he says, "You you can put me in a concentration camp if you want. That's your affair. But as long as I am free, you do not touch one of my patients. I cannot change to fit the times or the wishes of the Fuhrer, I stand under orders from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's really impossible for us to, to believe that this would happen. But really that last statement, I stand under orders from our Lord Jesus Christ, speaks to the spiritual crisis that was going on in Nazi Germany. And it, it, really the question was, what does it mean to be human? Uh, what, is it, what does it mean to have a life that's worth living and one that's not worth living? Who's made in the image of God and who is, who is not made in the image of God? Who is useful and who would be better done away with, right? Who's suffering? Who should we relieve from their suffering? What does Jesus desire? What are What are his orders? What are his orders? So in answer to those questions, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of those pastors at this meeting, about a year later, he preaches a sermon in London. So he preaches it in English. It's one of the few times he preaches in English. And he's witnessing this war on bad genes against those that he was sharing meals with, spending time with while he was in Bethel. Those with special needs. And so he preaches on that, on what it means to be human, what it means to be made in the image of God as he thinks about those back Bethel, And he takes one text for his sermon, which is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Bonhoeffer begins his sermon and he says, what is the meaning of weakness in this world? What's the meaning of physical or mental or moral weakness? Have we ever realized that ultimately our whole attitude toward life, toward man toward God, depends on the answer to this problem, he said. I think he's right. This Friday, Highland's really fortunate because we get to co-host the Night to Shine event. Night to Shine is like a, a prom for young people with special needs, we're hosting it with Union Avenue Baptist Church. Many of you have volunteered. I'm so thankful that for that. I don't know if it's too late or not. I think you can still volunteer. I would love for you to be part of this. I'm also gonna tell you some other ways you can help us serve those with special needs. We hosted a pop-up shop here at Highland a few weeks ago so that those with special needs could come and get donated dresses and clothes for the prom. And McKinnon Frada, she got a dress. She sent us this letter afterwards. She said, Dear Highland Church of Christ, Thank you for the prom dress. It is red. I can't wait. I can't wait for the prom. We can't wait either, McKinnon. We're so thankful you got that dress. Uh, one of our missionaries, Kostya, actually hosted the first Night to Shine in Ukraine a couple of years ago. And this is something he's, he's deeply involved in, serves to those with special needs. And so he is, he's paving the way for us and our church is, is following in his footsteps in that regard. As I think about the Night to Shine, as I think about McKinnon's letter, I also call to mind those in this family who have special needs, those who have children, even older adults in their family. With special needs who they serve. I'm thinking of the cognitive, the, the mental, the physical kinds. Our children's ministry in the last few years has really felt a burden, a holy burden to respond to these families in more robust ways to do more to serve them. I'm going to share some about what they're doing. It's inspiring to me, but what I believe is that it's got to be a collective effort. We sat down with a A mom of a a special needs child here at Highland not long ago. She was talking to us about all of her friends in the community who have children with special needs, but don't bring them to church because it's hard. She 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 was imagining what it would be like for Highland to be this place where every child with special needs was welcome and where all of her friends could bring their family to come and worship, bring their child to come and worship. And if you've ever seen that movie Field of Dreams, remember the line, if you build it, they'll come. And that's what she said, if you build it, they'll come. If Highland becomes that place, they'll come. Now, if you're thinking, a sermon about special needs, well, that one doesn't apply to me. Let me just say that narcissism is a special need. (laughs) And you might especially need this sermon. Truly, I'm more and more convinced that how we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ with special needs reflects what we believe makes a person person what it means to be human what it means to be a child of God and so I want to spend a few minutes with you thinking about that today what is weakness what's normal what's abnormal let's think about that together to do that let's go to Luke 18 like I mentioned starting in verse 15 now this passage on first glance doesn't appear to be about those with special needs and it's not it's about children at least that's what we think it's about Let's jump in here and see if it can help us to understand ourselves better. Before we jump in here in Luke 18, 15, you can leave it on the screen behind me. Let me kind of set it up. Jesus has this recurring refrain in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, You have heard it said blank, but I tell you. you know, he says, You have heard that it was said do not commit murder, but I tell you do not be angry with your brother. He says, You have heard that it was said this, but I tell you that. It's this great line where he's he's reframing the way that we think. He says, you think it's like this, but really it's like this. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here in Luke 18. Let's jump in. He's busy. He's going about his ministry. All of a sudden, people are bringing kids in his direction. This goes on. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. Sorry. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Nobody expects this. You know, we've heard this so many times that we expect it. We've been to enough VBSs that we've got a pretty good idea of what's going on in this story, right? We expect Jesus to to bring those little children to him to say the kingdom of God belongs to these. But let me tell you, those people did not. You know, in the ancient world, the value of a child is not proven when they're born. It's proven when they get old, and that's because you've got really high child mortality rates, You've got really high poverty, so a baby is another mouth to feed, but a kid who's suddenly working and contributing to the family's bottom line, that kid becomes valuable. Okay? That's, that's how you determine the value of a child is when they're helping the family out. And so you've got, you know, it's not that they didn't love their kids. I'm reminded of all those stories of faithful women who are begging God to provide them a child, but their lives didn't revolve around their kids' lives quite like ours do. You know, sometimes we wonder how Jesus' parents lost him for a whole day and then couldn't find him for three more days, right? Okay, it's because their lives didn't revolve around them like ours do, okay? Uh, what's he saying here? At first glance, like I said, this, this passage may not appear to be about the topic at hand today, but let's jump in a little bit deeper. What's he saying? Notice that the little children have to be allowed to come to Jesus. See, let us. The little children come to me. You Do not hinder them. Okay. And then notice that they don't make the kingdom of God. They don't expand the kingdom of God. They don't further the kingdom of God. They don't choose the kingdom of God. They what? The kingdom of God. They receive the kingdom of God. What's he saying about children here? It's pretty obvious. Children aren't in control. They are Dependent other people allow them to go places. Other people make their decisions for them. They only receive what they're given. They don't go out and earn it or achieve it. They just receive what's given them. And we know that. You know, those are the things that make a child a child. He's not just describing children. He's saying something that's pretty radical, and you've really got to pay attention. He's saying that those who will receive the kingdom of God must be just like Just like children. So he's actually making this really disarming statement that we kind of gloss over because we've heard this story so many times. And it's a disarming statement about not children, it's about what it means to be human. You know, the implication is really subtle, but it has profound meaning. He's saying that to be a child of God, to be human, to be part of God's kingdom, is not to be in control is not to be independent, but to be dependent, to be like a child. Now, okay, when we kind of point that out, it sounds sounds impossible. I'm reminded of Nicodemus in John 3. Jesus tells him that if he wants to enter the kingdom of God, he's got to be born again. You remember that? He's got to be born again. And he's like, I'm an old dude. How am I going to get back in my mom's womb? Okay, that's not the direction you move. You move the opposite direction. Growth starts in the womb and then heads out after that, right? Okay. He says, I can't move in that direction. All right, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to think with me for a moment about those with special needs, You might know, like call to mind someone you know, someone you're close with. I think they've got something really meaningful to teach us here because for many of them... They'll never be fully independent. They will remain, to some degree, like the children that Jesus is bringing into his arms, forever dependent, dependent. Now that, you know, is maybe obvious to us, but it's actually that. Like if you were to to penetrate beneath the layers of what was going on in Nazi Germany, at its core, That was how they justified the euthanasia of thousands with special needs. And this is how. What they believed was that to be dependent is to suffer. And so the church gets behind this because the church says, our job is to relieve suffering. And so in Nazi Germany, you find for the first time the idea of mercy killing. Mercy killing, which the church puts its stamp of approval on. So we're not Nazis. That idea makes our stomachs hurt, but it says something about a worldview that apparently can even infiltrate the body of Christ. So let's, let's try to flesh it out because I think it is possibly here from time to time. It's possibly in me from time to time. And it's this view, probably subconscious, this, this, these moments where we buy into the belief that to be human is to be more and more independent. That as you grow, you become increasingly capable. And as you become increasingly capable, you become increasingly independent. And the more independent you are, the more valuable you are to the world around you. You're a giver. You're not a taker. You're not a dependent. It's that moment when you go from being a dependent on somebody else's tax return to filing your own and having a bunch of people depending on you. And we say that that's the trajectory that our lives should follow. We should become increasingly independent as we grow. That's what it means to be fully human, to be valuable, to be strong. And of course, that's not the trajectory of life for many with special needs. And we think, well, we don't believe that. I was at a preacher's conference. I've told you before about how rowdy those get, and I was at this preacher's conference. And uh, I was roomed up with a guy I didn't know, a preacher in n- another state. He's got two older boys and an adopted daughter. His adopted daughter has Down syndrome. She's had a host of, of medical issues related to that, long hospital stays, and he's telling me stories as we roomed together for a couple nights. And, and then I got to thinking about our adoption support fund that we have here at Highland, we help families adopt. We recently helped another family, it's one of the beautiful things. So I'm always curious, if other churches are doing that, what that looks like in those places. And so I asked him, did your church help you pay for the adoption? And or if not, how'd y'all pay for it? How'd you, I know these things are expensive. And I'll never forget his face just sunk. And he said, Eric, you know the worst thing about this? The worst thing. He said, it hasn't been the hospital stays, the sleepless nights. He said, the worst thing was when we went to adopt her and we found out she was cheaper like she was broken. She was a discount on a special needs child. Okay, why? Because that worldview is is woven into the fabric of our lives, the fabric of the institutions all around us, that to have value is to be more and more independent. You know, if that story saddens us, if that The kind of the calling to attention, that worldview, if that saddens us. It saddens us because we expected or we hoped, because of that worldview, for something different for every child. You know, our expectation of what it means to live a worthy life is colored by That worldview of progressing independence, whether we admit it or not, and like Nicodemus, we don't want to head in the opposite direction. That does not seem valuable to us. And this is why every expectant parent feels this pit in their stomach as they're awaiting the birth of their child. You know, there's there's actually a test you can do now to let you know if your child has Down syndrome before they're born. And even if you decline the test, let me tell you, you still worry about it. You still wonder about it. And you don't wonder about it because you won't love the child that's born into your home like the Alexanders talked about. Okay. You worry about it because we are all shaped by this expectation that our children will hatch and they'll grow. And one day they'll leave the nest and they'll become full and have the fullest possible life. And they'll be, they'll be strong. We want the Fullest life for our children, and we cannot escape this subtle and pernicious connection that the fullest life is one and the same as the independent life, that those two are the same. And yet, you know, Jesus says the very opposite. Jesus says that the fullest life, life in his kingdom, is not about becoming more independent, but less you know it's not about becoming more grown up but more like a like a child not stronger but arguably weaker that the fullest life you or your child could have is when your life is fully dependent on the author of all life <clears throat> and of course that's the thing right we are dependent you know all of us that we're self-made that we're independent that we're self-reliant is an illusion It's an illusion. I think about Paul, the Apostle Paul, who tries to enter Asia, and God won't let him go. I think if you were to ask Paul, do we go where we want to go? He would say, nope, you are allowed. You are allowed. I think you could look around at the people beside you, and you could probably tell them, okay, you don't get to choose what comes your way in this life, whether it's heartache or joy, whether it's sorrow or the kingdom, Right? You receive it, just like the children in this story. And so I'm convinced that those with special needs aren't abnormal. They're normal. (laughs) And in that, I mean that they show us the truth about ourselves, that there is no strong and weak. There's no normal and abnormal. There's just us, all of us, who are all week. I need those with special needs at this church because I need to see myself more clearly in light of God's grace and glory and plans. I think of Ben and Rob Robertson. You've seen Ben and Rob many times over here on the right side of the Auditorium serving communion together. You see him there behind me. You, you notice Ben and Rob are always wearing the same outfit. They're wearing the same outfit this morning. I think that's because Rob has trouble finding matching clothes. And when he finally finds a pair, he just buys two, right? <clears throat> it's easier for him. I love this image of them serving the Lord's Supper together, of Ben following Rob as he serves. I think it's a really a powerful image of what it means to be a child of God, In the kingdom of God. You know, in Ben and Rob, I get this this picture that I just want to fall into. And then I see this opportunity to stop resisting. To stop holding on to all those illusions of independence that I grab onto so tightly. To just open my hands and let God lead me where he wants me to go. To serve alongside God, to pass the trays like my Father, to serve where He wants me, to follow in His footsteps, even to look like Him, to have His clothes on me so that when people see me, they think of Him never alone, ever just following in His footsteps. Maybe that's what Paul means when he says that His strength is made perfect in our weakness. You know, does Ben need this church? I don't know. But I know I need Ben at this church. I do. I know that. I lament, I learned this over the last few weeks as I've studied on this, I lament that 90% of families with special needs don't come to church. 90%. Like that mom was telling us earlier, it's just, just hard for them. And so Highland has taken steps to change that. And I want to share with you some good news that we are, we are involved in to try to make changes. Firstly, we've hired Nicole Curlin. Nicole is a special education specialist. Okay, that's what, what she did. She's helping us to grow in our reception and service of those families with special needs. I'm so thankful that she's part of this church. Hannah, one of our youth ministers, also has training in this, and she's been excellent. She consulted a lot with her. We're so thankful that she's here helping us to make this a safe place. Michelle and Stephanie, Jean Bostic have established a, a buddy program for Sunday mornings at Highland and Wednesday nights so that if you want to serve a young person with special needs by accompanying them to, to class and, and helping them there, you could be one of their buddies. We would love for you to sign up to do that. You can contact Nicole. Her information's in the link. I've also asked some of these families, can you give me some, some tips to, to share with the church? How do, we, how do we better serve families with special needs? Here's some of the things that I heard. Uh, invite young people with special needs to your play dates, to your parties. You know, Michelle told me about a person she knew who invited, oh, sorry, had a special needs child and got an invitation to a birthday party. It was a mass invitation that was sent out, but on hers and handwritten ink, it said, hey, we're going to have the bounce house set up an hour early if Timmy wants to come early. You know, because she knows that that experience of all those kids would be overwhelming. She felt like she was wanted there. You heard the Alexanders talk about that. Uh, one of the things we're trying to do is think about our language those with special needs, you've noticed that I've I've phrased it that way throughout the sermon. So instead of saying things like disability or handicap, and instead of saying the Down syndrome boy or the special needs child, you you talk about their humanity first. So the, the boy with special needs, the boy with Down syndrome, the girl with Down syndrome, or better like Sarah or Bobby. That would be better. Hey, kids, if if you're a young person, let me talk to you. You know, the truth is a lot of y'all do better at this than adults, just by nature. You're just better at this. Let me encourage you, like those, your friends that are here at Highland who've got special needs, make them feel like they belong. Right? Talk to them. I know sometimes it's hard. That's okay. Right? Try it. Make them feel like this is their place. And to the parents of those with special needs and to Our beautiful people here in this room this morning who have special needs, let me say I'm just so thankful that you're here. I know that sometimes it's hard to be in a place like this where you've got to be quiet for long periods of time, and I know that sometimes your your kid may holler out during the sermon. Well, trust me, that's just like my house, okay? People are hollering out all the time. If they holler out so much that you're just embarrassed and nobody can hear the sermon, I'll just stop the sermon because, frankly, everybody will be thankful. Get out here a little bit early, beat the Baptist to lunch, my mom's the only one who remembers my sermons anyways. Nobody's going to complain. We'll stop. We'll sing. Let me tell you this. Your presence in the body of Christ is a better sermon than I could ever preach. We're so thankful that you're here. We're so thankful that you're here. The amen was a little strong right there. Hey, um, <clears throat> let me end with this thought. Let me end with this. And you got you to gotta lean in here. You got you gotta, to hear this. Stanley Harawas, just a Christian thinker. He said that the modern world, the project of the modern world, has been to produce people who believe that they should have no story except the story they write for themselves. They should have no story except the story they write for themselves. Think about that. A really keen Highland father recently watched the movie A Never-Ending Story with his eight-year-old daughter. You remember that movie, A Never-Ending Story? (laughs) Yeah. The, the idea behind that, that movie is basically we get to write our own stories. We get to write our own stories. So he watches this with his daughter. His daughter leaves the room, and he begins to complain to his wife about the message in the movie. And he says, that's not true at all. We don't get to write our own stories. There's so many factors determining our stories. And chief among them is not a factor but a person, the Lord and Jesus Christ, determining our stories. And his wife just rolls her eyes, walks out of the room, and says, you're depressing. Right? <laughs> but he's right. He's right. You know, the sooner we realize that we are not independent, the better. You know, that God is not only the author of our lives, but he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And as such, we are all with special needs of one kind or another. We are all characters in a much larger story of God's glory here on earth. And he has shown us how fiercely committed he is to that glory by sending his son to die for our sins and then raising him from the dead. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see the immeasurable strength of our God and Father, that same one who draws us close as a child to his chest, allowing us to receive his. Is good and generous kingdom, right? Okay. Each of us are just characters in that story. And as characters, we are dependent on the author. And by the author's will, we are dependent on one another. That's the way he designed it. And so by his design, I am dependent on you. I need you, and I need Ben. And I need Lane, and I need all those other young people and old people in this body who have special needs like them. I need them in this church because that is God's design. And in them, I see myself most fully as a child of God, dependent on the author of all life. And some people would say to be dependent on somebody else is weakness, but guess what? His strength is made perfect. And my weakness. Right? That's right. If you don't know God is your Savior, if you want to be baptized in this water and have his strength wash over you this morning, cleansing you of your sin, making you new, I want to invite you down front. We'll baptize you this morning. If you want prayers, you can also come down front. I'd love to receive you in prayer. Some of our shepherds will be along the back. They'd love to pray with you this morning. Will you stand as we sing? Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here...